0: We all know the definition of wrong thinking doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome
1: this is different we are doing essentially nothing and expecting things to improve
0: that was leslie McBain, co-founder of mom stop the harm speaking yesterday on international overdose awareness day we did get the, the, the most recent statistics looking at the first six months of 2021 when it comes to the overdose crisis with bc's chief coroner lisa Lapointe saying you know June was the ninth consecutive month that we have seen at least 150 people lose their lives as a result of a suspected overdose. Uh, You look at that here in Kamloops, we have seen 32 people lose their lives to a suspected overdose in the first six months of this year. That puts us on pace for yet another record-breaking year when it comes to the numbers of people who are dying from this crisis. I gotta wonder, you know, she, she says that comment, you know, The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well, in this case, it feels like we're doing nothing and expecting different results. I had a little bit of a different message coming from the mayor of Kamloops, uh, Ken Christian, earlier this afternoon asking him the same question. He said, well, you know, people are upset because things aren't moving as fast as they like. But I would take a little bit of exception to the fact that we're doing nothing. But. Let's see what's going on here from the B.C. Green Party's point of view. I'm pleased to be joined on the program now by B.C. The BC Green Party, M.L.A. for Saanich North, Adam Olson. Adam, how are you here this afternoon?
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are actions being taken by our provincial government. But from the perspective of Leslie McBain, who's a constituent of mine, Uh, and who I know quite well, uh, someone who has lost their child Mm -hmm. to uh, drug poisoning in this province. Um, Certainly the pace is is definitely not quick enough, and and, and a lot of parents that I met with last night uh, shared that uh, that the urgency for this uh, crisis that we're facing
0: I guess, to be fair, in that comment, you know, no matter how quickly things were moving, I mean, when we're talking about the numbers of people who are losing their lives on a daily basis, I mean, really, there, there's no way to move quickly enough on this file, is there?
1: Um, well, I mean, I think that there is, actually, and and uh, partly uh, it is to listen to those that are experiencing uh, uh, this crisis uh, firsthand. It's to listen to drug users. It's to listen to families who are losing their loved ones, uh, and it's to listen to the experts, and it, all of them have called consistently for a uh, safe, demedicalized uh, supply of, of drugs in order to, um, you know, save people from having to go to illicit street drugs, which are being laced uh, with extremely high amounts of fentanyl, carfentanyl, and now benzodiazepines, and so. Uh, one of the challenges that the government has created uh, in their safe supply is that they've medicalized it. They've they've forced people to go through a whole pile of uh, a whole pile of red tape, a whole pile of jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get it. And of course, we know that uh, people who are looking to uh, use and who are addicted um, simply are going to take the path of least resistance. And so, it's important that uh, that there's an accessible uh, safe supply and harm reduction um, harm reduction. Uh, Practices put in place, uh, and that uh, and that as, as few um, obstacles in place as possible. They've also said, you know, quite clearly that we need to decriminalize. And you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry has talked about how the government could take steps uh, through our own Police Act that we're reviewing right now, mm-hmm. but to decriminalize people who use drugs. This is a a health issue, not a criminal issue. And in fact, we create all sorts of other problems for ourselves when we uh, criminalize people who are using drugs and who are addicted to drugs.
0: I want to go back to the demedicalizing point that you did make there, and you're 100% right, right? When we are talking about having to have doctors make prescriptions for safe supply, it's just really not that realistic. Uh, You know, like you mentioned, a lot of people who are seeking drugs are probably not going to be looking to go through their doctor in order to get them. So when we're talking about demedicalizing it, what does that look like from your standpoint?
1: Well, I think in, just quickly, in addition to in addition to what you've just added, that there's a whole bunch of stigma around it. There's stigma for doctors, there's yeah. no stigma for users, and and um, part of the reason why we haven't talked about our, our addiction challenges uh, in in the past is because of that stigma. And so, you know, I think that uh, that clearly the provincial government could remove uh, some of those barriers. There are, uh, I think, services within our communities that could be providing. Uh, access in a in a safe way. Like if you take a look at the safe injection sites in downtown Vancouver, for an example, there is a location in which um, a, a safe supply could be uh, could be regulated and could be um, you know put into the hands of people who are going to use. And and at least we'd ensure that we've removed the gang activity from uh, that supply and that we are that it's tested and that we're certain that it's not going to have. Um, you know, rates of fentanyl, carfentanyl, and benzodiazepines in there that that are going to um, that are going to kill people. And so, you know, I think that there are services already in place that could be uh, pressed into action. Um, the government chose, I think, the path of, mo- path of most resistance, and there are definitely other paths that they could take.
0: I mean, Adam, this has been uh, you know a, a declared as a public health crisis in British mm-hmm. Columbia five years ago. Um, it You've been, you know, in the government for for a while here. I mean, do you feel like I mean, the conversations are happening, but the actions aren't there. and And, you know, you've had a lot of conversations. We talked about how Leslie McBain with Mom Stop the Harm is a constituent of yours, and you've obviously had frequent conversations with her. But I, I just cannot grab, grab grapple with the fact that this is such a slow moving target that we're we're not seeming to hit. Uh, and I know the pandemic has made things worse, I guess. Well, maybe I'll ask you that with the, with the pandemic coming into play. How much has that impacted the ability to do the work? We know it's had a huge impact on the toxicity of drug supply, but on the actual trying to improve the situation as a whole. I mean, it, it, it feels like it's really slowed down as the focus has shifted from the opioid crisis to COVID-19.
1: Well, look, I, I think that certainly COVID-19 is going to have an impact on all of the government services. There's no question about it. We've seen that. It, it's even impacted the operation of the Legislative Assembly. Um, you know, I, I would normally sit with your two MLAs on a regular basis, uh, Todd and Peter, and uh, and now we've got you know MLAs coming in and out. So there's no doubt that COVID-19 has had an has had an impact. Uh, however it it is not to blame uh, for the the um the entirety of this issue there are there has to be uh, ideologies that are you know that government is stuck on that the this current government the BCNDP is stuck on that, that certain ministers have to be stuck on otherwise uh this would have moved a lot quicker and so as i said last night at the vigil that was hosted by uh, Mum, stop the harm. We have to get into a situation now where we're asking those people who are who are in the way to, to simply step out of the way, uh, because there are far too many British Columbians dying. As as our coroner said last night at that event, uh, while we are standing, you know, in here today, five British Columbians have perished, and and when we stand here tomorrow, five more will have perished. And so, I think that uh, we we th- there's no doubt that COVID-19 has has impacted it. However, COVID-19 has shown British communities and shown those families who have have lost a loved one, lost one of their children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, uh, how quickly government can act when the stigma isn't there. So, uh, you know, we carry a lot of uh, stigma and bias and and discrimination just inherently in in how we've been taught and what we've been taught. And and it does take some compassion to, to help people remove those stigmas and, and biases. However, we are now in a desperate situation. We are in an urgent situation, and, and with that urgency requires, uh, I think, a, a little bit more force where we ask those people uh, who are standing in the way to step aside so that we can get the programs in place that uh, that we know will work, that we've seen work in other areas. Uh, but prohibition has not worked. Prohibition has led us to exactly what we're seeing today, and so now it is time for a, a solution that's going to work for, for the problem that we have today.
0: Uh, you know, how, how quickly can can you start to see those types of barriers that you just spoke to broken down? I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but is it a matter of just having the political will, I suppose, to start to, to make progress here?
1: It's going to start in the Premier's office. Uh, it's going to start with our Premier, and, and then it's going to work to the Cabinet. And, you know, sure. I, I think that uh, we're going to have to work through uh, those uh, powerful offices and, and make sure that they're aligned with the, the, the policy measures that need to be in place, it's going to move to our legislature and to ensure that all 87 of us uh, in that uh, legislative assembly are completely focused on the work that we have at hand. We we showed British Columbians uh, last in in March of 2020 how a legislature can come together, and I think that that leadership from the Premier's office, we've been calling both uh, the uh, leader of the official opposition, Shirley Bond, and uh, the leader of the B.C. Greens, Sonia Persino, have consistently been calling on Premier John Horgan and Minister Sheila Malcolmson to uh, create an all-party committee to to address this as a legislature. This is not uh, a partisan issue. It is a, it is an issue that we as British Columbians have to address together. And uh, we've seen the success of that when uh, when Norm Letnick and, and Sonia uh, and and Adrian Dix were Minister Dix were um, dealing with other issues in healthcare uh, prior to the pandemic we 've seen the success of collaboration and so uh, you know I think the the two opposition parties are calling on government um, to 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 create that process and for us to be able to address this issue um, together as a as a legislature on behalf of all British Columbians there's going to be a divergent uh, divergence of opinions for sure and and different perspectives and that's going to be the challenge for us elected officials to overcome and, and work together on
0: Adam, I always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me here on Newsday this afternoon. Um, You know, it was every time we get these statistics from uh, the coroner's office, you know, it it really hits a a chord with me. Um, But it's important not to just think about that, you know, once a month when the coroner comes out and lays some stats out. This is something we have to deal with. You mentioned it, you know, daily is we're losing people daily and we can't forget that.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And I'll just say if, if there's somebody in your life, if, if there's a family member in your life, uh, I think that this comes down to an individual uh, aspect of this. We we might have to set some of our biases aside, some of that stigma aside to help those people closest to us, bring them in, bring them closer. Let's all be a part of the solution to this because, um, you know, our family members, we cherish our family members. and and uh, we can't afford to lose any of them. Absolutely.
0: Adam, thanks so much for the time. Have a good rest of your uh, Wednesday afternoon here, and uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure, chat in the not-too-distant future. You too. Take care. Thank you. All right, that's Adam Olson there, BC Green Party MLA for Saanich North and the Islands, speaking again on the heels of International Overdose Awareness Day, which was yesterday, uh, and we did hear from BC's chief coroner, Lisa LaPointe, speak uh, very Emotionally, I suppose, you know, she she usually comes out and and lays out some stats and, you know, kind of just shows us the data and leaves it at that. But she was very pointed yesterday uh, when when speaking about the, the most recent statistics that we're seeing here across the province of British Columbia with, again, June marking a ninth consecutive month of 150 or more individuals in this province losing their lives due to a suspected overdose. I mean, well, why is, why is the political will just seemingly not there to improve things more rapidly? The conversation, the talking points are nice, but action is what's required. I mean, here in Kamloops, we've seen 32 people now lose their life to a suspected drug overdose in the first six months of the year. I don't know how many more lives we're going to lose before things change. Like I understand also as well, and it's important to point out progress was being made. Ken Christian, the mayor of Kamla's pointed this out with me last hour as well. Progress was being made. The numbers were heading in the right direction until COVID-19 came around and the toxicity of drugs was worsened. Uh, We've seen more people, I'm sure go down the path of drug use and opioid use as a result of, you know, whatever, COVID-19 impacts they may have faced, whether it's a loss of employment, a loss of hours. Um, you know, I'm sure family matters have come into play for people who, you know, when you spend more time at home as a result of of a layoff or a, a closure of a facility and you have to spend more time at home with your loved ones, I mean, tensions rise and there's problems that occur and sometimes turning to substance use is what people choose to do. And rather than blame them for... The, the hardships that they have to deal with, maybe helping is another and more progressive way to go, more productive way to go. We don't need to lose anymore, but you know, throughout the course of this last hour, I'm sure we have lost somebody else. Um, when we're talking about the other aspects that come along with the opioid crisis, I mean, it's not just about the lives lost, but think about all the other things that this takes away from, the number of emergency response calls that have to go out for people who are suffering an overdose and they have to go and they have to uh you know uh use use naloxone to try to help someone and revive someone and make sure that they reverse the the uh problems that come with with an overdose being experienced i mean how many thousands of calls a day are people having to go out to Are paramedics and firefighters having to attend because of overdose i mean if you can remove that I mean, maybe we see some of the people who lost their lives during that heat dome. Maybe they can get a little bit quicker response. Maybe when we see elderly people break their hip and now it's moved down, it takes like two hours for an ambulance to show up. Maybe it would show up quicker if they weren't having to show up to overdose calls, you know, three times an hour or whatever the statistics show. There's so many other spin-offs that can come with helping to address this issue. And I know it's not an easy solution. And it's, you know, the the solutions that are being put forward are sometimes controversial. Um, You know, speaking with Adam Olson there and talking about the demedicalizing of of, uh, safe supply. Because right now, the way it's going, you have to go to your doctor and get a uh, prescription and then take your prescription to go get your safe supply. I mean, drug users probably aren't going through those channels in order to access that. That is a problem. There's definitely a better way to do things. Um, It's just sad. It's a, a real sad situation. And every single time the numbers come through, they're just worse and more heartbreaking. And I can only imagine it's a matter of time. If you haven't experienced a loss or a severe family situation yet as a result of it, it's likely only a matter of time unless things start to improve Sheila Malcolmson, Minister of Mental Health and Addictions here in British Columbia. She is set to be on the NL Morning News tomorrow morning with Howie Reimer. Uh, That'll be happening at 6.40. It'll be interesting to hear what she has to say in response to uh, the calls from Mom Stop the Harm, the calls from the the, the Chief Coroner's Office, the calls from the opposition to create that independent committee, an all-party committee, excuse me, that can work on this issue. Um, Those calls have been there for an extended period of time and have not been heard or have not been Uh, acted upon. And I don't know what the holdup is. And part of that problem, I'm sure, is the fact that that mental health and addictions ministry has very little funding. I think the move to create that independent ministry's office was a good move. Now it's time to put the money where your mouth is.